Today's scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-9. through um, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tim. Can you join me in a time of prayer once more? Father, we commit this time to you, and we humbly ask that would you speak to us now as we delve into this passage together. And Father, if this is an area in our lives that, that we have been neglecting, that we have failed miserably, Father, would you rebuke us and also through your spirit and through the gospel, would you enable and empower us uh, to practice this more. God, we commit this time to you. Thank you in Christ let me pray. Amen. I came across this post entitled, Isn't It Funny? A long time ago. And I would like to share it. And I want to read this uh, for you guys because not only uh, is it relevant uh, for today's message, but I do believe that it's going to set the tone for today's uh, message. So here it goes. Funny, isn't it? Funny, isn't it how a $100 bill looks so big when you take it to church, but It looks so small when you take it to the mall. You know, funny, isn't it, how we don't mind paying a lot of money for the best seat in the house for a sporting event or a concert, but we would rather sit from the back when you attend a worship service. Funny, isn't it, how difficult it is for us to read a chapter in the Bible, but how easy for us to read hundreds of pages of a best-selling novel that's of extreme interest to you. Funny, isn't it, how we get thrilled when an exciting baseball game goes into extra innings or an exciting football game or basketball game goes into an overtime, but we start grumbling immediately when a sermon goes into overtime. Funny, isn't it, how several hours of ministry, doing um, kingdom work, service, or volunteer work can feel like an eternity, but how quickly time flies when we are binge-watching our favorite TV shows on Netflix. Funny, isn't it, how we need advance notice just to fit church-related events or ministry opportunities into our calendar, but we don't mind adjusting our schedule last minute for the things that we are passionate about. Funny, isn't it? But isn't it also so true? I remember reading this for the very first time, and, and I laughed it off and I chuckled, but as I was reading this again, it's not so funny anymore. It's a wake-up call. It's a sober reality, right? 
Because when it comes to things that we are passionate about, let's be honest, we don't mind being overly generous with our time and resources. I mean, when it comes to things that we love doing, we don't mind overspending, right? When it comes to our favorite hobbies, we don't think twice about spending that extra money and time. And I think Tim Keller is absolutely right when he wrote that our money and time flows effortlessly to that which is its God. But here's a sad reality. When it comes to kingdom work, when it comes to doing ministry, we are not as generous with our time and resources and our funds. All of a sudden, we become extremely stingy with our time and resources. We become excessively stingy with our time. And the question is this, why is that? Why is that? And there's something seriously wrong with this picture. You know, this morning, as we take a closer look at today's passage together, our main focus will be on the topic of generosity. And I'll be raising three points. Point number one, the radical generosity of the Christians in Macedonia. Point number two, what does grace have to do with generosity? And point number three, living a life of radical generosity. Let's jump into the first point together, the radical generosity of the Christians in Macedonia. Uh, I would like to read uh, the first five verses uh, again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they give according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave uh, gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Here's what's happening. When Paul visited the churches in Macedonia, something remarkable happened. Something remarkable took place. You know, as Paul reminds us in these verses that the Christians in Macedonia, they weren't wealthy. They weren't rich. They didn't have much. But he goes on, he goes on to remind us that they were actually going through a severe season of affliction. They were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they were extremely poor. If you look at verse 2, he mentions extreme poverty, but the Greek word actually there means rock-bottom poverty. (laughs) Like they were really poor, just barely making it. They were in survival mode. But in the midst of this, Paul mentions two remarkable things. That even though they were going through a severe season of persecution and afflictions because of their faith in Christ, and they had to cope with this rock-bottom poverty, they had nothing. But yet, they were filled with abundance of joy. But not only that, they gave. They were practicing generosity. And then the question is this. In the midst of all this, how were they able to practice radical generosity? How, how did they still manage to give willingly, joyfully, generously, and sacrificially? Let's be honest. Generous giving, radical generosity, that's not something that's natural to us, right? I mean, our default mode is to keep uh, everything for ourselves, and when we must give, give as little as possible. I mean, isn't that our default mode 
Isn't that what is natural to us? But notice what is happening here. And notice what Paul says regarding the Christians at Macedonia. They weren't begging Paul to take their money. I mean, that's mind-boggling, right? They are not begging to receive money from Paul, but they're actually begging Paul, please take our money. Please do not rob us of this opportunity to, to, to help out our fellow brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. Even though they didn't have much, they had to cope with rock-bottom poverty, but yet they're begging Paul, take our money, use it to bless them, use it to help them, use it to meet their needs. And the question is, is how is this even possible? Because this is mind-boggling. And to answer that question, I want to draw your attention to two things. You know, Paul begins uh, today's passage in verse 1 by reminding us of this grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So the grace of God, and also, verse 2, their abundance of joy. Grace of God and this joy put together created this spiritual dynamic of them being able to practice this radical generosity. And John Piper is very helpful here, so I'm going to quote him when he's talking about uh, these two verses here, and and this is what he writes. When poverty-stricken Macedonians begged Paul for the privilege of giving money to the other poor saints, we may assume that this is what they want to do, not just what ought to do or have to do, but really long to do. It is their joy, an extension of their joy in God. To be sure, they are denying themselves whatever pleasures or comforts they could have had from the money they give away. But the joy of extending God's grace to others is far better reward than anything money could buy. And it is the overflow of joy in God which gladly meets the needs of others. The grace of God. The saving grace of God. This amazing grace of God. This transforming grace of God which took hold of them And then the more and more they understood what God in Christ had done for them, it filled their hearts with this abundance of joy. And there was a natural outflow of the desire to give, to bless. And that's what happened. And hold that thought because I want to unpack this a little bit more as we go to our next point. What does grace have to do with generosity? Do you know what really happened to Christians in Macedonia, to the churches in Macedonia, that enabled them to practice this kind of mind-boggling, radical generosity that, that when we look at it, we're like, whoa, I don't want to have to do anything with that. Do you know what really happened? Grace happened. Because of the grace of God that had been given to them, that they were able to practice this type of mind-boggling, radical generosity, which Paul reminds us in today's passages wasn't actually an act of grace. And to draw our attention to the spiritual dynamics of what really happened to these Christians in Macedonia, to these churches in Macedonia, John Piper writes, that grace comes down, joy rises up, and generosity flows out. That's what happened. They not only experienced this spiritual dynamic, but they were actually living it out. And this was their joy. And this is why they were begging Paul, please take our money. Take these 
funds and use it to bless our fellow brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem and use it for God's glory to build up his church in other parts of the world. Grace came down, and because of that, they were filled with abundance of joy. And after that, the natural result was generosity flowing out from their own lives. And the key to understanding this mind-boggling radical generosity of the Macedonians is actually mentioned and revealed in verse 9. Let's turn there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this one verse, Apostle Paul sums up the gospel for us. And in doing so, he actually helps us to see and understand the radical generosity in light of God's extravagant self-giving in Jesus Christ. Now, to unpack this a little more, I want to read you a quote from a New Testament scholar, Richard Buckham, and, and please read along because this is really helpful. The Greek word charis, which actually means grace, and it's actually one of those Greek words that were rather unremarkable words in their ordinary use, but which early Christians made into ways of saying some very distinctively Christian things. Another word like that uh, uh, is the Greek word agape, which is a usual word in the New Testament for love. In Greek, it was rather a colorless, rarely used word. But because Christians wanted to say something new and different about love, they took over this word and didn't already have um, a very potent meaning and made it into a very potent word by filling it with the meaning of love that they had discovered in Jesus Christ and the gospel of God's unexpected love for us. Charis was a little like that. It becomes a sensual word for saying what Christians had to say that was new and remarkable. Charis, grace, means basically giving. Not so much gift in the sense of the thing that is given, more giving in the sense of the act of giving. Paul uses to mean God's act of generous self-giving to us. That is the story of Jesus. Grace isn't a quality of God, an attitude, disposition. It is what God does. It's his act of generous giving. Grace is God being unimaginably generous in giving us himself in Jesus Christ. Grace is God's love in self-sacrificing action for us. So the Macedonian, when they encountered the love of God, the grace of God for the first time, they were forever changed from the inside out. And what Paul is sharing here in verse 9 it hit home for them. And they began to really appreciate the depth of God's love for them, the depth of God's sacrifice for them, to the, the extent to which God went to save them. And then the more and more they thought about it, and the more and more that um, the, the grace of God that, that Richard Bogum is talking about here t- took hold of them, it just naturally turned them into Givers following their Savior's example, right? God's act of generous self-giving in Jesus Christ for sinners who are so undeserving, right? And on the cross, we see God's extravagant grace for us being fully displayed, right? And another way of looking at that is God's God's extravagant self-giving in Jesus Christ, which none of us deserve, I think Tim Keller 
is really helpful here. And if you haven't read his book, The Prodigal God, which is actually based on the parable of the two lost sons, I want to highly recommend you go read it. But in this book, as he begins this book, he actually talks about the word prodigal. And he defines it in this way, that the word prodigal does not mean wayward, but recklessly spendthrift. It means to spend until you have nothing left. And, and Pastor Tim Keller uses this one word to describe the depth of God's love for us. He, descri- he uses this one word prodigal to describe God's act of generous self-giving for us in Jesus Christ Because the word prodigal accurately describes how much God loves us and especially the way he pursues after sinners like you and me faithfully and relentlessly. Because that word means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. And that's the depth of God's love for broken and undeserving sinners like you and me. He went all in. And this hit home for the Macedonians. And as they encounter this amazing love of God, and as they come face to face with this undeserving grace of God, it forever changed them. And this dynamic began to be seen in the way they live their lives, and especially how they began to give. In a nutshell, the beauty of the gospel compelled them, and it continued to move them so that when an opportunity came for them to give, they not only just gave, they gave willingly, they gave generously, they gave joyfully, and they gave sacrificially. What about you guys? I mean, this is the grace of God, this is the mercy of God, this is the love of God the Christians in Macedonia have encountered and experienced, and it forever changed them, the way they live, but especially the way they use their resources, their funds. What about you guys? Have you encountered the grace of God? Because if you did, no matter what is happening in your life, as we have seen in the life of the Christians in Macedonia, you will be overflowing with joy. There will be an abundance of joy in your life, in your heart. Because that has nothing to do with your circumstances, right? And if you really get the gospel, which Paul sums up for us in verse 9, and if you really get what God in Christ has done for you, then how can we not live a life of radical generosity when we have been given all the spiritual wealth and blessings in Jesus Christ that none of us fully deserve? And can you see the same spiritual dynamic that Paul describes in the lives of the Christians at Macedonia? Grace coming down, joy rising up, and generosity flowing out. Do you see the same dynamic that has taken place, that has taken hold of these Christians in Macedonia? Something to think about. Now, if you look at verse 5, Paul reminds us, that these Christians in Macedonia, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. See, they were faithful stewards. And after encountering this amazing grace of God, which changed them, 
forever, the way they live and the way they give, the first thing they acknowledged is that all that we are, all that we have, Lord, it's yours. This is not ours. This is all yours. And use it for your kingdom and your glory. They're faithful stewards. And they did not get that mixed up. And this is why when Paul came, Paul came to them collecting, trying to collect funds for the church back in Jerusalem because the, the church back in Jerusalem was really poor and the Gentile churches were, uh, they, were they were wealthier. So Paul was going around collecting a love offering for the churches back in Jerusalem. And this is when the opportunity came for them to take part in what God is doing in other part of the world. They said, we will give. Like Paul, we will give. We want to participate. Do not rob us of this opportunity. So they were begging Paul, right? Take our money. Take our funds. And I think Pastor Sam Storms, he's absolutely right when he uh, writes this because this is exactly what we see in the lives of the Christians in Macedonia. The grace-given joy is always other-oriented. Having germinated in the soil of grace, it blooms in generous bounty to those in need. The grace of God, this, leading to this abundant joy and this generosity, this radical generosity, just naturally overflowing. It was all the work of God's grace. But do you see the same dynamic that is taking place in your own life? Jump into our last point, living a life of radical generosity. Verse 7, As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul specifically challenges the church in Corinth. Excel in all of these things that I just mentioned, but also don't forget to excel in this work of generosity. Being a faithful steward, which also he calls an act of grace. Did you know that generosity is one of the marks of a true Christian? But here's a question, but why is it so difficult for us to live a life of radical generosity? Why is it so difficult for us to excel in this act of grace? And I do believe that we have three huge obstacles that will continue to hinder us, distract us from living a life of radical generosity. The first thing is our ongoing struggle with sin. The second, living in America. And number three, our relentless pursuit of our own versions of the American true. In a quest for more, living for something bigger than you, Paul Tripp writes this, the DNA of sin is selfishness, and it shrinks the size of my universe to the size of one. Sin creates the ultimate shrink dynamic. It causes all of us in some way to shrink the size of our lives to the size of our lives, Sin shrinks my motivation, zeal, desire, care, and concern to the contours of my life. In the shrunken kingdom of self, there is no function or room for God or others. It is humbling but spiritually essential to admit that sin has shrink-wrapped us all. This is actually our fundamental problem, right? And this is going to be an ongoing struggle. We are incredibly selfish Self-absorbed people. 
And I wonder how many of us have been actually living in this shrunken kingdom of self. And perhaps you, you don't even realize that the sin has shrink-wrapped you to the point that all you see is you, your own needs. And that you refuse to, to, to use your time and resources that God has blessed you with so that you can be a blessing to the people next to you. But you just keep everything for yourself, for your own comfort, so that you can live more comfortably, so that you can continue to indulge in things of this world, right? But as if this isn't bad enough, we also have to think about the realities, the sobering realities of living in America and how that affects us spiritually. And Francis Chen once said that living in America puts us at a serious disadvantage spiritually. And I think this is so true. And since we live in such a consumer-driven society, we tend to devote most of our time and effort trying to accumulate as many possessions as possible for ourselves. And as a result, you know, the concept of giving, sacrificial giving, radical generosity becomes an idea that is so foreign and even repulsive to us as we continue to live in this consumer-driven, me-centered society and with this mindset, right? In 2010, Travis McCoy and Bruno Mars released a song called Billionaire. You guys know this song, right? Very catchy and became immediately uh, popular because I do believe that this song deeply resonated with so many people and what they were seeking to do with their own lives. And let me read you how this song begins. I want to be a billionaire so bad by all of the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Every time I close my eyes, I see my name in shining lights, a different city every night, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. I mean, everybody can relate to that. And let's be honest, why wouldn't you want that, right, for yourself? To, be, to have that kind of resources and funds where you don't have to think twice about spending, right? And Bruno Mars actually, in an interview that he did, and as he was sharing the... Um, why he wrote this song, Billionaire. And this is what he said. You know, I was tired of spending half my day worrying about what I can and cannot spend on whatever. So he wrote this song, and and it's so relevant, and everybody can relate to this, right? But here's the problem. Pursuing and fulfilling your own version of the American dream in light of what we just talked about with the DNA of sin and how sin can you know, shrink-wrap all of us into living this kingdom of self, right? But the more and more you seek to pursue and fulfill your own version of the American dream, get this, it can actually greatly impact your spiritual walk with God for the worse. And if you're not careful as you continue down that path, pursuing and doing whatever it takes to to fulfill your own American dream, during this process, it it, it could actually turn you into one of the most selfish, self-centered, and self-absorbed people. And you get this, if you put all of these three things that's going against us, 
how can we possibly practice giving, radical generosity, right? Because living in a consumer-driven society, in our relentless pursuit of the American dream and the DNA of sin, you put that together, it actually creates this perfect breeding ground for the shrunken kingdom of self to continue to thrive and flourish. And if you're not careful, you're going to get very comfortable in there to the point that all you care about is that space and how you can continue to surround that space with more comfort, luxury, possession, so that you can just enjoy life to the fullest. And not sharing what God has blessed you with so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. And this is what we are up against. Then how can we possibly live a life of radical generosity? I mean, how can we possibly excel in this act of grace? And this is why we have to go back to the gospel, preach the gospel to ourselves, to remind ourselves of the calling that God has placed upon our lives. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Every day you need to go back to the gospel and preach the gospel to yourself so that you you are reminded of what God in Christ has done for you. What it took for him to come to your rescue. What it took for him to go to the cross. And what it did for him to bring you home. This amazing grace of God. This extravagantly great grace of God. How God spent everything, his gracious self-giving in Jesus Christ, that has to hit home for you every day. So that whether you're rich or poor, whether you're going through seasons of pain, sorrow, or affliction, your joy is not contingent upon those things. It's not based on the absence of those things. But as you go deeper and deeper into this amazing grace of God, it just fills you with more joy. And as a result, generosity just naturally overflows and outflows. And Richard Buckham, I think, is absolutely right when he writes that God's grace is a kind of giving that turns his recipients into givers. You guys remember Zacchaeus? He was a chief tax collector, right? I mean, this is mentioned in Luke chapter 19. He was a chief tax collector who loved money and who lived for money. He cheated people so that he could become filthy rich. But remember what happened when he encountered the love of God, when he encountered Jesus Christ? He was forever changed, right? But do you guys remember what he did with his possessions? After he encountered the love of God, the grace of God? Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four times. The grace of God turned, even person like Zacchaeus, who loved money into a giver, <laughs> completely changed him. What about the poor widow? Mentioned in Luke chapter 29, verses 1 through 4. She had nothing, right? But notice what she did after encountering the love of God, the grace of God. Luke 29, verse 4. And this is Jesus saying, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. 
grace of God turning people into givers. What about you? Are you generous? And how are you doing in this specific area of your life? Have you been a faithful steward of the resources and blessings that God has given you? Or have you been hoarding it all to yourself so that you can continue to be comfortable, even though you know that the people around you are struggling? John Piper writes the following in order to challenge us to be faithful stewards and to live a life of radical generosity. And these are sobering words, and I hope that you can really take time to think about this. There are three levels of how to live with things. One, you can steal to get. Two, or you can work to get. Three, or you can work to get in order to give. Too many professing Christians live on level two. Almost all the forces of our culture urge them to live on level two. But the Bible pushes us relentlessly to level three. The issue is not how much a person makes. Big industry and big salaries are a fact of our times. And then they are not necessarily evil. The evil is in being deceived into thinking a six-digit salary must be accompanied by a six-digit lifestyle. God has made us to be conduits of his grace. The danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. Copper can carry unbelievable riches to others. God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves no matter how thankfully. And here's the thing. Enough for us, abundance for others. Let me say that again. Enough for us, abundance for others. You know, unlike the Christians in Macedonia, you know, when we give, we will most likely give out of abundance, right? And I don't think we will ever find ourselves in a similar situation, going through a severe persecution because of faith in Christ, and at the same time living in extreme rock-bottom poverty where you're in survival mode on a day-to-day basis. I don't think many of us will go through something that they went through. But they still gave. And here's a question that I want to ask all of you guys, and including myself, that what are some things in our lives that we can actually cut out that we don't necessarily need? What are some felt needs that you have turned into a necessity so that you keep justifying your purchase and overstanding? Something that you really don't need. Because I do believe that your budget and your spending reveals what you value the most. And I want to challenge you to take a good look at your spending patterns and your own budget to see whether you have been using the blessings that God has given you to show the people around you that the Christ is your treasure. And there's also the, the temptation to, to upgrade, right? And this is something that I struggle with too. When a better phone comes out, when a better TV comes out, when a better gadget comes out, I just want to immediately upgrade. But do I really need that? And I think there's something that we need to intentionally fight. Because we're all about selfish accumulation, but what we should be all about as Christians is selfless distribution, right? Being conduits of grace 
and being a channel of blessing to the people around us. You know, someone once said that you may find it easier to let God into your heart than into your wallet. And I want to ask you these questions again. Are you generous? How are you doing in this specific area of your life? Have you been outwardly compassionate? You know, what are some things in your life that's hindering you from being generous, from giving joyfully? How comfortable are you in your own shrunken kingdom of self? Perhaps you've gotten too comfortable there. But if you want to really make an impact for God's kingdom, and if you really want to invest deeply into things that have eternal significance, the kingdom of God and the people of God, then you and I, we need to become a little bit more uncomfortable in our lives so that the people around us who are struggling, so that the people around us who are still living without Christ, with the funds that we give, with the resources that we share, so that they can also experience the same joy, same love, same grace that undeserving and broken sinners like you and me have freely experienced. And I do believe that God is calling all of us to be intentional about this. And see, being generous isn't just about giving your money away. I mean, isn't it really easy to just throw money at people and be like, okay, take it and you just figure it out. But I do believe that being generous is so much more than that. And I want to challenge you guys that as you ask God to help you so that you, you learn to live a life of radical generosity, but not just with your, with your stuff, not just with your possessions and funds, but also with your time. And I do believe that there are people that God has placed in your lives intentionally. And these are the people that God is calling you to, to reach out, the people who are part of your personal oikos, the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Start with the people around you first. Start with your family, your neighbors, your community, the people in this church, that your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and this city and also this broken world, right? Because as Amy Carmichael, this uh, missionary who served in India for 55 years, as she reminds us that you, know, you can actually give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. But don't limit your generosity to just funds and possessions, but give them the gift of your presence. Enter into their life. And that's going to get really uncomfortable, even messy. Walk with them, love them, serve them, minister to them. Practice radical generosity with your funds, possessions, and with your time. Because when you do that, you're sharing the love of Christ with them in a, in a real and tangible way that they can see and feel. And my challenge to you is, as you seek to live that out, as you depend on God's grace, who is God calling you to reach? Perhaps you can already think of those people right now. 
But let's not miss out on those gospel opportunities, gospel moments. Let's ask God to help mercy upon us so that instead of being just so comfortable and instead of just learning to just, just stay and live in our own shrunken kingdom of self, where we just continue to accumulate and, and hoard things for our own comfort, let's fight for this and let's use the funds and the resources, even our time, in such a way that we show the people around us that the Christ is our treasure, not the stuff that we own, right? I want to challenge you to set aside a portion of your budget so that you can practice this more. Set aside a certain time so that you can practice even more. Because we tend to react to the needs of the people. Because we're scrambling to find funds, to gather funds. But what if we learn to set aside a, a portion of our funds so that we're always ready to meet the needs of the people around us so that we can regularly practice radical generosity with our time and funds. And I really pray that this can be also true for our church, that we can continue to set aside a portion of our budget so that we can, we can continue to go out and be a blessing to those around us, especially those who are hurting, especially those who still do not know Christ, so that we can continue to be channels of his blessing to the people around us. I really pray that this will become true and ask, ask God to help us so that we can practice radical generosity more and more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray and ask that would you have mercy upon us and God help us for we are so selfish that we are so self-centered and we can be so self-absorbed. And Father, if we have become too comfortable in our own shrunken kingdom of self, where all of our concerns are just focused on becoming even more comfortable and indulging in things of this world, all the pleasures, Father, forgive us if we have failed to miserably live this uh, part of our lives. And Father, help us so that we can practice radical generosity with our funds and possessions and time in such a way that we will be able to really show the people around us that you are our treasure, that we are not living for these things, Lord. Father, please have mercy upon all of us and also as a church, that God, that we can continue to uh, practice radical generosity and when opportunity comes for us to, to meet the needs of the people around us and for, for, for us to partake and, and partner with a kingdom advancing endeavors and in, in not just here in New York City but other parts of the world, that God, would you um, help us to give generously, and sacrificially, joyfully and so that God, that you will use these funds uh, to continue to make your name known and, and continue to further your kingdom. So God have mercy upon us and we commit this time to you. Thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.